So I'd like to begin this evening by expressing my appreciation for all of you, for your practice, for being here, and just really deep appreciation and gratitude for all the dedication and courage and beautiful, many beautiful qualities. And it's such a Yes, yeah, you're very inspiring. So thank you. And uh, so tonight I'd like to offer some reflections on a, a question. I'm not sure what the title of the talk is yet because the question is a bit long. I think they'd probably say that's too long. Um, it's a, a topic that maybe with sometimes bringing a theme there's a feeling of um, no it's too big to tackle in a what have we got 45 minutes well okay let's let's get in there and explore and as as always I really invite and encourage you to listen from that place of you know embodied present open just really letting a sense of your own listening, your you know, sense of your own heart just be let the talk kind of happen, sort of float through or bump through or whatever it do whatever it does, and trusting that, you know, if there's anything useful there it will be heard and kind of received. But if not, at least you will have had some mindfulness of listening time. So, may it be, may it be of benefit, one way or the other. <laughs> so, the theme, the, what I want to explore is, is just, again, some different ways uh, around the question, how do we live with sense pleasure? And then the second part is, how do we live with sense pleasure in a way that is actually helpful? You know, it's actually not productive of suffering. That's it, really. That's, it's, it's, that's, the, the, that's the question and that's the exploration. And as probably with all of you, can, it's a sort of ongoing exploration in life, on retreat. It's kind of what... It's a very, I've, I find it sometimes quite confusing, so I hope that doesn't come out too much in the talk. <laughs> um, she means well, no. Um, <laughs> so I want to share with you some of my own thoughts, experiences and reflections. Can everybody hear me all right? No, is it? Yeah, okay. I'll just, is that be- that's better? No, it's too loud. No, can you, can you manage? Can we all manage with that, please? <laughs> Including me, okay. Is that is that all right? Yeah, okay. I'll tr- I'll try to speak speak up. So um, yeah, and I wanted to before kind of going into going into that, I'd like to to almost just touch on or evoke a sense of the mind when there's a sense maybe of, as you will experience at times, 
My sense of just being balanced and at ease with, with pleasure, with pain, with neutrality. You know, that we all have those times, perhaps that's happening for you now or earlier today or you know, other times. Um, just that sense of that, we know that possibility of sense of whatever you might call it, rested, balanced, kind of, you know, steady. And, and it, doesn't, it doesn't just happen on retreat, does it? It can happen, you know, in the world, depending on, yeah, when, when, we, can, when we can find that steadiness. And I remember once coming off retreat and, and for a while being able, there was this big market in London called Stratford Market. It's kind of a big walk through more with loads of shops and, and walking down this, you know, everything clamoring, you know, clamoring from all sides, you know, buy me, buy me, buy this kind of thing, you know. And just having this sense of clarity and just like big mind, you know, there was just all, it just, it could all just be there. There was no hook being hooked in. So in a way, this is the, it's the, the force of craving, really, this being hooked in that I want to kind of explore a bit in this talk. And, but also just first to keep in mind this sense of being able to, even in the midst of being caught up, even in the midst of being hooked, you know, in all the different ways that we get hooked, that there is this, this possibility of um, um, touching into the mind that is that is uh, that is not um, that is not confused by all that that is not kidnapped by it that is not um, you know fooled by it all in a way and yet is sensitive, is present, is not sort of checked out and indifferent and cut off. Um, to me, that, what I, I guess what I hear in that is like a, a real possibility, it's an aspiration, and, and I know it's, it's almost like, yeah, it's more possible at some times than at other times. And in a way, I've, I've, as I was reflecting on this earlier, I thought, in a way, it's like, I don't know if, you, if this is a sense for you, that in a way, the absence of craving, or the, 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 the sort of when it's kind of not much happening, you know, when it's quiet or something, and it's, it, it, it's, it's, doesn't it feel like a more natural more natural way of being, almost like we're on this strange kind of convoluted journey to just come back to just feeling ordinary, <laughs> just like, hmm, <laughs> like, you know. And I just think that's so interesting, you know, and that that ordinariness, that simplicity of presence is like, it's not very glamorous, you know, doesn't it? It doesn't got, got flashing lights and things on it, but... There is a kind of beauty and loveliness, and a, you know, when again, when we sense into it, when we're sensitive to the, to the beauty, to the loveliness, the happiness of that, which is not, it's not the same kind of happiness as, you know, whatever it is you. <laughs> we'll go into this a bit more, but you know, like a really good curry, like, like a really good one. It's like, wow, I know. It's not like that. <laughs> but
but it's it's so this is I feel like this talk is a little bit of a companion piece to James's lovely talk on Tuesday about happiness that it, it, it's kind of we're in the same kind of territory of you know what is the kind of happiness that well-being or okayness or you know nondescript well-being yes please I have some <laughs> sounds good is it this kind of strange kind of to me there's like a retuning of of like what is really possible what is really kind of lovely but it's also wholesome and you start realizing oh that's kind of something something more like we overlook we we miss we we uh we ignore actually we don't see avija we don't see and um so just uh, maybe a poem, short poem by Mary Oliver that I, I think points to this so beautifully. Around me, the trees stir in their leaves and call out. Stay a while. The light flows from the branches and they call again. It's simple, they say. And you have come into the world to do this. Sorry, and you too have come into the world to do this, to go easy, to be filled with light, and to shine. You know, sometimes I, I don't know if you see this in each other when you're on retreat, that I often notice the longer people on retreat they start shining more so in case you didn't realize a lot of you shining (laughs) it's wonderful what is that you know and then the buddha talks about luminosity you know the mind is luminous and bright and radiant but is obscured by visiting defilements you know so there's a sense that again our more natural state is something of luminosity, of radiance that is so so clouded and obscured and ignored and overridden and covered up and so on. Yeah. So I guess the the piece I wanted to home in on during this talk is is Kamatanha. So the thirst for uh, sense pleasure, that particular kind of craving. I felt like mentioning the other two because as probably a lot of you know very well, like these, these forces often, they come together. I thought, is there such a thing as a three-sided coin? And then I thought, well, actually there is, isn't there? Because you've got two sides and then the bit around the edge. Because I, I spent, I don't know, I spent quite a part of a walk trying to figure out, can you have a three-sided? Anyway, we'll leave that. Sorry. So, so you have the 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 kamatanha, this thirst for it, you know, the something. I was like, yeah, you know, I want that. <laughs> and then there's the um, vibhavatanha, and then it's like, oh no recoil, retract, don't want that, you know, please get away. It's like that um, movement away, isn't it? And can sometimes, 
you can can't you feel it just energetically like not physically moving away but something inside you just goes and kind of rushes to see if it can hide in the back of you or something or you know quickly hide down one leg or something just like get behind a really big bone and they won't notice I'm here Or the, um, so, so, so isn't it true often that actually the sense of dukkha or the, that goes with the vibhavatanha, the trying to get out of, I just like, that, that I just grab something nice and kamatana to just like something, you know, oh, I feel better now. Or the way that the um, bhavatanha, that I, w- I want to be, I want to be, I want to become, I want to be something other than this. Yeah. Dear me, <laughs> you know, I've got a three meditation. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and and, and then I'll <laughs> that whole thing, right? I, no, no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, isn't it? And and it's like it's something, something about this of if if we don't if we don't have some sense of willingness to to inquire here and to really understand the the activity of these tanhas of this cravings is thirst in our in our life in our mind they will run our life you know and i think that's one of the things that's so like when you start to look at this if it's insights arise you're just like wow <laughs> you know how much how much of our life of our activity our speech our actions is actually driven by one of these or possibly all three or you know it's just and and one of my things one of my little mantras you know that I think I've already said here a few times is honesty without judgment you know that we we can't we can't make this about us being wrong (laughs) you know just we can't it's like that's not uh, we can't do that Um, because the freedom and the release and the yeah, of of that, with that, from that is isn't it about really, really understanding, really seeing? Oh, yeah, and being able to a uh, kind of almost embrace that as part of a human experience. And the Buddha, you know, as we, as we know, pointed to a middle way, a middle way between. Um, you, I don't know, I've seen it translated in different ways, but between self-indulgence and self-mortification. And I think this can be a very helpful reflection in our own experience. What's your version of this? And there may be several different ways that you see that manifesting. Like one I just pointed to, which is this kind of tendency to, to maybe re- retract. You know, there's this sense of, of of um of kind of um shrinking you know because something is a threat or something is perceived as in, encroaching on my space or something and so we get small get small and kind of tight and like we can't really stay like that for, for very long and so part of the draw i think to sense pleasure is that it's the self-indulgent swing you know the pendulum swings and then ah isn't that that feeling when you you feel like you can spread out, you can feel like you can get bigger, you can kind of swell into something, and it's like, oh, 
and that feels so much more pleasant than this sort of contractedness of retraction and contraction. I hope this is making some sense. You may have your own, again, your own version of that, or your own kind of... And, and another way I think it's often experienced is um, what uh, Ajahn Suchito, I, I got from his called surging and flopping which is, you know, in practice, when you're like, right, okay, let's really, you know, go for this. And, yeah, you know, and, right, I'm I'm doing, I'm going, it's all happening, yeah, I'm really... And then, like, you do that for a while, how long is that, you know, and then, like, oh, God, I can't do this. Like, for God's sake, putting all that effort in, like, and then I just can't, I can't... That surging and flopping. <laughs> so again, where's the, what's the middle way? I mean, we know, isn't it? It's that somewhat, sometimes elusive territory of right effort, you know, because that cat can be so, that can feel so elusive. Um, so, so maybe other ways you can see the pendulum swing like that. And sometimes I find it helpful to catch myself like it happened actually earlier today a little bit. I was busy, busy, busy doing, seeing people and then doing this and doing that and making a phone call. And then and <laughs> at some point I was like, then I paused and I thought, right, what next? And I thought, wait, wait a minute. Whoa, you know, whoa. So I stopped, stopped. And she lay down. And it was like, oh, look at that momentum. And that to actually then stop and just, it was sort of a sense of, okay, wait, waiting until the thing all calmed down a bit. And then I could have a bit more space, a bit more mindfulness to see, well, actually, what would be helpful? You know, what would, what would be helpful now? It's not, do you, it's so, so there's something about, yeah, the middle way being obviously about mindfulness. And, of course, as the Buddha said, the middle way is the eightfold path. So it's like it's all laid out for us. That that actually, sort of, this this training that we're all engaging in, in sila and samadhi and panya, in, in ethical sensitivity and gatheredness of mind, in, in mindfulness, in, in discerning, seeing clearly, is, in a way, that's the, that's the, that's what, that's what we need. That will, in a way, bring us out of that pendulum swing, wherever we are. So, I'd like to um, spend a little bit of time more evoking tanha, this thirst, just in a few different ways. Just to, maybe you'll hear one or two different sort of things that are, yeah, you know, that kind of speaks to you as a way of Sorry, is I, that's I'm, I'm <laughs> trying to make sure you're hearing me okay, but this thing is anyway. It's probably all right. Um, is it okay? Can you hear? Yeah. Okay. 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 Can't make it stay. Hmm. My ear isn't big enough. So, um, 
one thought I've had is that tanha is what converts experience into suffering. The raw data of any moment. And actually it's that that, yeah, I mean that's, that's what the Four Noble Truths say, isn't it? Just to feel sometimes, again, when we're very sensitive or even not so sensitive to see it's it's some it's some it's one of those that isn't it push pull trying to be something that's actually uh, creating the suffering. But it has so many guises, has so many guises. Um, let's see. So Christina Feldman called it the relentless restlessness of heart that always feels incomplete, that there is something missing. The restless agitation that leads us to prowl the world, looking for an elusive satisfaction and ease. Isn't that such a... Don't you find yourself prowling? You know, you're prowling very, you don't look like you're prowling. You're just walking along very slowly and mindfully, but you're prowling, (laughs) looking for something. Isn't that, that's so, and and what's that sense of the the agitation, the sort of inner agitation, it can be quite subtle, can't it? But something here is about tuning into that, even very, very subtle agitation, that it's almost like the tanna is actually a movement away from. It, it's, 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 it happens, I think, it kind of, it both causes, but it's also when we, when we turn away from the dukkha, when we turn away from a sense of dis-ease, we're, we're, we're in that, uh, feeding that, that tanha, that, that, um, that thirst. So uh, another phrase I, I love, which I think is relevant here from Christina, is it's it's like often we are uh, involved in rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. You ever heard that? And then we do that inwardly. We do it in our life, and and you know we're trying to get, we're trying to get, and moving, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. I know. Where is this thing headed? You know, <laughs> it's a really big iceberg, and it's not that far ahead. <laughs> so, what do we think we're doing? You know, it's but it's it's so it's it's so um, it's so it's so much a uh, a kind of a seduction, isn't it? That we are through the way we project. So here's another, actually, yeah, a lot of this, Christina again, projected promise. That that what gets projected into the person, the thing, the food, the substance, the gadget, the whatever, you know, you know that, that makes it appear absolutely wonderful. <laughs> you know, and... And the way that this is not about beauty, this is not about appreciation of beauty, this is something different, isn't it? It's like a kind of narrowing, it's like a kind of fixating, it's like a kind of, it kind of locks onto the object and it's, it's very narrowing. I think, I think it's very different from an appreciation of beauty, 
which I think is somehow more open. It's like more, I mean, isn't that interesting? So much with unwholesome states of mind, they have this narrowing kind of aspect and the wholesome states of mind tend to be more open. But anyway, that's, that's just with, it, with this regard, I think. So I wanted to give an example, actually, <laughs> I think, to the least embarrassing examples. Um, you probably all have your own. <laughs> so just recently, because that's one of the great things, you know, when you have a theme like this and you're kind of reflecting on it, perhaps you do that in your own practice in your life that you see, you see things and it's like, oh... So it was a few days ago down IMS, the retreat center. And this is IMS too, Forest Refuge. Like, still learning that thing. So I was walking outside and I looked down the drive and there I saw a dog. <laughs> I really, really love dogs. So, you know, I have a conditioning in me very positive very very strong um, and I haven't seen a dog for a while since I've been up here I've heard them and I've heard coyotes as well but um, and it was so funny because I was thinking that I just so saw what happened and I know this is kind of in a way a small example but I think it's so to me it kind of illuminates quite a lot about something in my brain just lit up and it was like dog want <laughs> just like and honestly it was all I could do to not run down the road towards this yoga and I, I was a person with a dog I wasn't sure it was a yogi at that point later I realized it probably was but anyway um so I saw a dog and I my face lit up big smile big urge to run and then you know immediately like okay protocol decorum retreat center you know right person might be retreatant careful you know just you know stay calm <laughs> and just this like oh I just and the dog really you know some dogs are very friendly and this one was a friendly dog you could just tell it was like it and you know how dogs they pick up that they like that you like them and like this so this dog could see it I, you know they're just and so it was like kind of looking like oh friendly person friendly person I'm friendly dog hi it's probably all my weird projection going on. See, projection. There it is. Because you might really dislike dogs, and then it's a whole very different experience. But yeah, sort of, so replace dog with whatever yours is, or one of yours. Anyway, so, person is coming up drive. Caroline is, like, trying to stay calm and not lunge at the dog. <laughs> so, walks a bit further, and I thought, God, I just I really, really want to have contact with this dog. I just, I just, I really do. So I stopped, and so I just, I'll just stand here. I'll just stand and I'll just look at it when it goes by, and be so I'll be a bit closer. <laughs> and I, and then I saw, and so it was a woman and the dog, and I could see it said service dog. So I knew, okay, it's probably a seeing eye dog. And indeed, the person with the dog went round and went into the retreat center so I was like thank god thank god for restraint you know and in a different situation I might well have just gone and talked to the dog and tried to be polite to the human <laughs> but what what was so what was so noticeable was the strength of that and and Joseph I've got a quote from Joseph here somewhere 
if only life was as organized as my notes. What's that? Is that that's a kind of kamatana, isn't it? Well, sure. If, oh, I don't think I wrote it down. Well, there you go. It was something like this: that the force of craving or desire is not measured by the object, but by the the energy, by the the feeling, the force of the craving or the desire in our hearts. Right? And that's totally obvious in a way, isn't it? But so that the practice is so much to feel what we're feeling. And with the mindfulness and intention to kind of to, okay, you know, both to kind of understand and, and, and also to do the skillful thing. I, you know, the last thing I want to do is really, you know, sort of throw myself into that woman's retreat. And, you know, I didn't. So it was good. It was like that there, the, the, there's a sense of, the way mindfulness, you know, it has that wonderful depth and breadth of, okay, situation, you know, she's probably on retreat, okay, you know, the, the way that it, it gives you that context, that so that mm, gives you more chance of some kind of skillful response. So what then happened was I just had this so much love for this dog, it's ridiculous really, but there you are, sort of love and appreciation and just and gladness for the dog you could tell it was a happy dog and I thought well happy dog happy person or that there's some lovely I hope some relationship of care there where the dog was appreciated and and the dog could appreciate the kind owner and then so that 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 what presented itself as a craving an opportunity for you know grasping all that sort of because I couldn't act on it became this like oh sort of almost opening the heart to appreciation and love does it do you follow that does that make sense well it, it it's so I think part of what feels important to communicate in in this or to, to also to sort of understand more deeply that it's so often the case that our unskillfulness, well, no, I mean, it is, I shouldn't put it in parentheses because it is, you know, sometimes, or the energy of, of that, it's actually, it, it's, it doesn't take much for it to be transmuted, for it to shift into something skillful. I think that's so interesting. It's so... So, so our practice gives us the opportunity, doesn't it, to be able to see, to hold, to not panic, to not react, to not act out. And one of the possibilities is the thing, the feeling of it shifts and changes and actually can open because it's almost like that craving wouldn't be there if there wasn't some care and valuing. Yeah? So that it's like there's a kind of almost a little bit of skillfulness and wisdom and hidden in that craving. I think that's so something, something there. Um, so, yeah. And I, I know also speaking somewhat lightly about this, that, you know, there's also a way in which it can be devastating, can't it, in a person's life no. to be to be hooked, to be addicted, to be caught up. And mm, 
Mm. And and perhaps that can be uh, an an uh, an encouragement for us to to bring a lot of compassion, a lot of kindness to that when we when we meet it in ourselves and others. Um, that it's so um, it's so part of our humanness somehow. So again, can we engage and explore and experiment and, you know, without, without it having to be this, this heavy judgment? That's never the whole of who a person is, is it? Hmm. So, yeah, a lot, a lot more could be said on that, but maybe I, I wanted to... Uh, another saying, I actually don't know where it comes from, but um, the craving, Tanha described as a thief, the thief craving, the way it steals away our life from us, has us continually leaning forward, leaning away, not really present, not really able to actually feel and live and... Uh, yeah, and 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 inhabit our bodies, our lives, our relationships. You know, it's like because we're we're again, it's this veiling, this obscuring. Somehow, we're we're not able to be fully present. I find that very very powerful. Somehow, the thief craving, and also in that we are in some way or another. Sometimes we are. Um, also um, robbing others of what they might have if we weren't taking so much. So Mohandas K. Gandhi said, we are not always aware of our real needs and most of us improperly multiply our wants and thus unnecessarily make thieves of ourselves. Hmm, probably a lot more here than I've got time for, so I'm just... So, hmm, hmm. so there's a process here, isn't there? I've mentioned the Four Noble Truths, and I just want to kind of put out one of the, one of the ways we can understand the, that process that we get caught up in which is sometimes expressed as uh, dependent origination and the way that experience or particularly suffering is is created and constructed and the way it can also be uncreated or unfabricated that it can it cannot arise it cannot be made yeah so there's two processes of something is winding up or a kind of relaxing down or a yeah, it can be, and it can be, it can happen in a moment, can't it? Like very, or the understanding is it can be a, across a whole lifetime or even maybe several lifetimes. So this is how it came to me, one way of, of, of sort of describing this process and the way that it, a process that can both 
we can understand how suffering is being made and perpetuated and also how it can be de-escalated and un, 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 un left unmade. So when we understand dukkha and have access to inner richness, we can develop a wise relationship to sense pleasure. And that undermines craving and allows peace and freedom to be realized. Let's just go through that again. You see there's these different elements, but it's actually all one process. So when we understand dukkha, and, and again, there's lots of different ways you could formulate this, but and we have access to our inner richness, so inner resources, as James was talking about on Tuesday. We can develop a wise relationship to sense pleasure. So it's like the sense that actually without a lot of inner resources, we can't, we can't relate wisely because we're, we keep wanting and trying to get what we haven't found inside from out there. That's the basic principle, I suppose. So when we, when we have this wise relationship to sense pleasure, it undermines the craving, it undermines the attachment and the globbing onto things and the, and, the, and the delusion in that. And when that doesn't happen, then we can see clearly. Yeah? We can see clearly and there's an error kind of peacefulness. It's like... It's, again, back to this sort of natural, more natural way of being. Ajahn Amaro. If our hearts are truly attuned to the way things are, then from moment to moment we experience a deep contentment. There is nothing whatsoever that we are lacking. I know we can touch onto this, we can touch into this sometimes. And then bounce straight out. There we are. <laughs> so there's something about... Th- so, so this process then freeing us up to, to, live, to live well, to live with more sense of connection with what we truly value, what's most important to us, rather than being dragged hither and thither by craving. So if you listen to it the other way around, when we don't understand dukkha and, we're, and have no access to our inner richness, we cannot develop a wise relationship to sense pleasure. And that keeps us caught in craving and prevents peace and freedom from being realized. That's trans- uh, transcendent dependent origination, for those of you who know those formu- formulae. But can you hear? It's like, it's so... It's, it's this sense of understanding the process. You can intervene, you can, you know, again, sometimes isn't it just by bringing this, the power of mindfulness, that's somehow sometimes all that's needed. But sometimes more than that, restraint, wise reflection, the help of good friends, which is another thing I really wanted to bring in. I think that if we, if we really want to 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 grow in wisdom either maybe with regard to this or maybe with regard to anything is that we need help we need support we need companionship we need 
what the Buddha would often call wise friends and suitable conversation. <laughs> right? This kind of wise friends and suitable conversation. I was thinking about how much that's so much part of what we do and how we get help from each other and teachers and friends and Dharma buddies and and our, you know, good friends and therapists and support groups and 12-step groups it's it's like to me I think that's some that that some parts of this I think we can't do on our own but you might disagree with me which is fine it's my view (laughs) okay so um I just also did want to include um part of a bit more explicitly what what James was touching on on Tuesday it's this 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 part that I've mentioned about inner richness having access to our inner richness which is so much about being able to turn to have access to recognize the goodness in our hearts and and to actually it's there you know it's here it's here we can turn to it it's not I think it's so interesting that it is something that needs to be cultivated and to some degree act, you know, acted upon in order for it to really flourish and grow. But there's something, isn't there? It's, you see this on retreat where, yeah, you, you can almost just recognizing it in yourself or, or in another. And then that taking some time to take it in, to dwell in that. It's a skillful dwelling. And this is so important because we tend to be, you know, as James was saying, Velcro for the difficult and Teflon for the positive. And, you know, this is a very, you know, this is, this is such an important part of this equation that I'm sort of trying to lay out. That it's not just one thing that's needed if we don't have the inner resources of samadhi, you know, this sort of inner, inner richness, this inner... A kind of sense of being able to be at, at home in oneself, you know, that that's even a little bit of that. And I just, doesn't it make so much difference to how we relate to what's around us, what sort of comes at us? And I was reading this book, which I can recommend, called Hooked, actually. Um, some of you may know it. Um, it's Stephanie Carzo is the editor, and there's a I wanted to share a bit with you that I found very lovely in there about generosity by a teacher called Santicaro, who I don't know. but And it's one of these beautiful qualities of dana, generosity, giving, sharing, you know, that very natural, beautiful quality, which I think has particular power and potency in terms of being an antidote to craving very somehow that's there's something very powerful that you want but you can you can almost turn that and give or somehow the giving it it generates it it connects you with a sense of oh you know I have I can give I can offer I can share and that somehow helps to heal or counter the sense of inner insufficiency isn't it this belief in insufficiency this sense of lack that i don't have 
you know, I don't, I don't have, therefore I've got to get and put it in there. I've got to get from other people, you know, that then I can have, and then I'll be all right, you know. This is possibly one of the most important, I think, sort of ways of understanding this, that it's about a belief in lack. And that though that has um, real history and real conditioning, it does not have to be given further life in the present. That we can, we can shift that, we can change that, we can start to tune into a greater sense of fullness and richness and, yeah, all the goodness of heart. And generosity is one of the, I, I feel like, principal ways we can do that rather than seeing it as something that's good, it looks good, or, you know, then people think you're nice, or anything like that, which may be true, but it's very, very secondary, and possibly even unhelpful. That it's what it brings, what it, what it brings to your heart. And even the Buddha would talk about it in that way. I haven't got the quote, but he would say what's more important than what you give is what it does to the heart. It's so powerful. So Santikaro says, like this. Dana liberates us from acquisitive and protectionist habits. It mitigates individualism and nourishes community. Its meaning spans the most basic levels of practice through to the ultimate. It challenges me and mine, fostering letting go. And he also he adds that when this is really when this comes to fruition as a parami, you know, as a as a perfection or as a and I, I, I love the sense of those qualities also being what helps us cross the floods of the world. So when we cross the flood on the raft of generosity, everything is a gift to be passed on. Isn't that beautiful? That's kind of the fruition of that parami. Everything, everything is a gift to be passed on. Can you, can you hear what an antidote to craving that is? And that, again, it's pointing us towards the happiness and the pleasure and the joy um, that's available and also the importance of it as a, and almost as a social witness, as a as a as a way of perhaps pointing to different different kind of society we could be, a different kind of community. I think of the the, the community here of people who live at IMS. There's so much generosity here that coming new into this, I've just been so moved by a lot of generosity flowing around here, and is really the basis for this place. It wouldn't survive five minutes without that, I don't think. <sighs> I was thinking about other kinds of happiness and you know, maybe we can also open that to reflect in our life, you know, what gladdens us, what, what really brings joy. And I just wanted to briefly mention um, 
the area of music and art and creativity and literature and sometimes we read poetry, you know, but I wanted to bring that in. Um, that how much that both as uh, an activity and as something we, you know, we appreciate, we, we, we listen to or look at, so on, can be such... Um, Oh, it's like such a, a wholesome channel, I think, for life. So I, I, there's a lot more. That's probably a whole talk. But I just, I just wanted to bring that in because somehow to me, it feels like creative expression is another very important antidote to craving. Partly, well, I guess the, the sense of it coming from a kind of offering or a wanting to understand. Those are the two things I... And I was also listening to the radio today, a very great musician that I really have loved for many, many years has died, David Bowie. Sorry for those of you who just loved him so much. What a great, great artist. And I was listening to some of his music and, yeah, some of his words. What an amazing, brilliant, intelligent, kind extraordinary human being he was and there was something the way I was listening to him talk about there was such wisdom and there was also such a freedom of spirit there and so I wanted to just name I just wanted to mention that during this talk because um yeah I just think it's a very wonderful part of life and I why does it have to be outside of our dharma practice I don't think it does that's maybe a whole other talk and a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, there's a lot more I want to cover, but I, I actually, I, I'm not going to go on too much. Maybe part two sometime. Maybe another, a last couple of things. One is this sense of uh, chanda, or wise desire. That is, I think, really important here, that we don't conflate tanha and thirst with all kinds of desire. That is not what the Buddha meant, I don't think. <laughs> and chanda has this, it comes up as a kind of wise desire when it's connected with the wholesome. It's like, yeah, you know, let's go sit or <laughs> let's go do something constructive, right? Because I think sometimes I can't, practice can breed a sense of passivity or like, you know, it's all about just not doing anything. And, and you know, I really, you know, the Buddha, if you think of him in his 45-year teaching career, he didn't do nothing, did he? <laughs> He's amazingly active. And I think that's important to remember. And it, can we connect with what is important, what matters most. And sometimes on retreat, I do a practice, and maybe some of you do, where mindfulness of intention, wonderful, in a place like this where you haven't really got a schedule particularly. Like at the end of a sitting or a walking, at the end of a meal, and you just stop and wait and, and just really discern, like give it some space, see different intentions come up. Well, this is what I usually do now, <laughs> or whatever it is, and just wait, you know, 
and see. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful, just very simple way of practicing with this. So you you you, you might be it might be there for a while. <laughs> Fine. And then when it's like ah, oh, feel that coming together, that energy coming together around some intention, and you think yeah, and then really feel what it's like to yeah. You know, then you get up and you go walk or you get up and you go to the bathroom because, yeah, this is what I need to do right now. And to feel the goodness of that, feel the sort of rightness of it, feel that sense of, yeah, that this is another way perhaps we can um, strengthen a sense of being able to move through the world, even move towards things, towards people, towards jobs, towards community, towards whatever, Knowing and understanding what that feels like when it comes from our our value base, our you know what actually matters most, and how good that feels, and that could be another way, you know, another another sort of way of gradually, gently healing ourselves from the, the motivations of of greed and coming from a sense of lack and so on. So there's a beautiful, well, a couple of, couple of, couple of other quotes. Honestly, I'll stop soon. I promise. <laughs> um, if I can find the right, yeah, here we are. Now, this is from a Christian theologian, but I just wanted to offer it to you because it, it feels to me so helpful in this. I first heard this about twenty, twenty-two years ago, and it's, I think it's, it still really speaks to me concerning this sense of what is calling me what does the world want from me you know can I be open to being used in a good way can, can, can I actually make myself available my particular talents or you know however small they might be and I make myself available and Fred, Frederick Boichner said, the place God calls you to is where your deep gladness and the world's hunger meet. I'll just say that again. I think that's so... The place where your deep gladness and the world's hunger meet. So... May we each find, you know, may we each somehow find or trust or open to the possibility that what our hearts most deeply long for, what they're most deeply gladdened by, like when we allow the world to kind of touch that, to, to, when we have, when, when our sense of what's needed in the world, like when we, allow those two things to come together then calling calling may occur if that makes any sense so thank you for your attention and um, I I hope my, my wish and hope is for each of us that we find a wise relationship to you know, the pleasure in life that we really learn and we really understand more and more 
um, how to relate to that skillfully so that we can enjoy life but so that we can also be really open to um, our life being shaped and and um, yeah being shaped by um, that deep gladness that that is in all of us hmm. okay so thank you for your attention let's just pause and have a few quiet moments before we chant the reflection on blessings.